I'm Terry Mallet. And I'm Jared Treadway. And we're inviting you to co-create with us. From our home base in North Central Texas. We're hosting conversations that nourish our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual intelligence. We are about being spiritually physical. And physically spiritual. We are about inspiration. And aspiration. We are about involution. And evolution. We're about self-exploration and self-excavation. We are about each of us coming to know ourselves in our fullness and wholeness so that together we serve the expansion of human consciousness with the gifts of our specific genius. Welcome to 33 North, 96 West. Hello, Jared, and I am excited to be back in the studio again today. I'm excited for you to be here. We are going to talk about self-love today here on 33 North, 96 West. So welcome. Welcome, everyone, as we talk about self-love and see how that unfolds in our conversation. You may have heard of the, I guess he's a writer, short story author, maybe novelist, Raymond Carver, um, who wrote a collection of short stories called What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. Hmm. And I remembered that as we were emailing back and forth about what we were going to discuss today. What are we talking about when we talk about love? That's a real question. That's a very real question. It's a big question. Big question. I, to start with a very broad answer, and we will dial into this, I know, as we discuss it. It is... It's freak. It's a frequency, a set of frequencies, if you will, and vibrations that is accessible to all of us. I agree. So, David Hawkins, and uh, even in in Abraham Hicks teachings, uh, you learn about a frequency spectrum of consciousness uh, where you have sort of lower vibrational emotional energies like fear and despair and depression and anger. And then you have higher frequency emotions like joy, ecstasy, appreciation, love, gratitude, those kinds of things. But for the purposes of our conversation today, I would like for us and everyone listening to actually use their imagination to conceptualize or visualize love as a substance, an energy substance that is like a field or a river or a stream, like the stuff, like I'm moving my fingers around, like think of love as energy stuff that's real and tangible in the universe, in the field, in the cosmos. Like it's easy to idealize things but to really think about it as a as a substance as a force as an energy that moves through the cosmos and that we as receivers or perceivers can attune ourselves to it it's being offered it's available as this substance and we allow it. 
I think that feels to me like the perfect way to kind of set the framework for everything that might follow in this contemplation. It feels, I mean, this is a big topic, but an important one. And we are starting at this sort of very ethereal, cosmic, universal place. But I feel that's the right place to start. I do as well. And then what I'm getting is to start bringing that down into the more tangible, as you mentioned, is it is energy. Like you said, it's an energetic expression and an experience available to all of us. It is unlimited. It is infinite. And like you said, it's the attuning to it. To view it as a substance or something that you need to work towards to attain I think probably is where the disconnect, I'll say, can come in. We can definitely come into a disconnect in the relationship of that to that with that as that. And how how does that happen? (laughs) That is a a good place to go next. So how have we gotten to this place as a culture, as a civilization, as a society where – the, the idea of self-love, has, it's so, something that's a bit taboo. Um, the environment doesn't necessarily suggest, I think in our pre-production conversation, uh, I realized those words, the cultural suggestion. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Is that we, um, we're always sort of critical of ourselves. We're always striving. We're always judging. There's always something better. There isn't as much in the mainstream consciousness, the idea of, as we kind of opened the conversation, the idea of self-love or tuning into that. So, So what are the barriers, like, as you said, why, why are, why are we not doing this? What's in the way? And, and how do we guide people toward, like, clearing all that out? So use your phrase again. Cultural. Cultural suggestions. Suggestions are. That, that hasn't seeded in yet. I, I like that a lot. Cultural yeah. suggestions are that it's selfish. Ah. And I'll share an experience. One time I was leading a group meditation and energy healing at my center. And somebody said, there was all this conversation about self-love. The whole energy was around that. And this was several years ago. And someone said, I have a question for everybody in the room. Why is being selfish a bad thing? Why have we identified being selfish as something wrong or negative or bad when in actuality, It's very much a part of our journey of discovering who we really are. Totally. Yeah. And I've heard the term enlightened selfishness. And I think that's perfect where an expression of where I think you're headed, uh, which is that we have to. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that the more one expands their consciousness and realizes 
the inherent unity of everything and everyone, the more sort of comical it is to think about the idea of being selfish because you begin to realize that the only way that you can serve the collective is if you've taken care of yourself first and not just taken care of yourself, established your, your core stability, you know, are your, are your sort of basic needs being met. There's some basic selfishness that's required, but then taking it to the next level and honoring and realizing the gifts and the energy that you brought with you into an incarnation. All of those are to be used in service. But if you're not selfish enough to acknowledge them or acknowledge when you're off or acknowledge when you're not using them, then you're not offering them. So what I would like to suggest for the purposes of our conversation is that selfishness and enlightened selfishness is a necessary step on the path toward selflessness. Would you say that's true? I think that's a really beautiful way to state it. Uh, I, I de- yes, I, I like that a lot. And I want to first extend the invitation that connects to all of that. I want to say that this is not, it is on the topic, but it's way beyond, but it's feeling important to, to tie in. Whatever is in your perspective is your truth. Whatever is in your perspective is your truth. So if in your perspective there is something wrong with being selfish, and to expand upon that, to go within yourself, to know yourself, to go through this journey of of evolving into, I'll say expanding into these other frequencies, expanding into the experience of this unconditional infinite love, for example, then you definitely need to focus on shifting your perspectives of what these cultural suggestions have been in your experience. And, and so to move from, you know, if you identify selfish as something that is taking others out of the equation and lacking consideration for others, it's going to be a little more difficult for you to go within and, and, and do that self work if you're identifying it as, uh, something that's harming others. That's where I was trying to go with that. <laughs> and the result of that is that you are offering uh, only a portion of the whole vibrant, brilliant truth of who you are. And when you're there, that is the selflessness. You're not looking at self and you're not looking at others. It all is. Yeah. So I like how you said that, and I wanted to kind of support that with some things coming through about the more you do, the more you do this inner work, the less you're going to have a perspective of selfish being something wrong, something you shouldn't do. Right. Um, you'll realize that the choices and decisions that you make for yourself are also inherently the more aligned you are with the whole truth of who you are, they are 
those decisions are also inherently in service to the collective. Absolutely. Not mutually sure. exclusive. I just figured, I just think we figured out like all the world's problems just now. <laughs> it's all over, but no, I'm kidding. Um, so that, so that was one, like, well, I shouldn't, I don't need, I shouldn't take care of myself because, or give myself self-love or love myself because that's a selfish way. I mean, we just check that off the list. Let that go. I'm kidding. But yes. Um, but what else? Uh, what else would be prohibiting people from realizing the love that's available? Because it is often, most often, sought as something external outside of us. Ah. Interesting. So, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, if you haven't found a way to fall in love with yourself, you actually can't get it out there. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful, interesting paradox? It's a very beautiful paradox and one that definitely comes with some resistance as we come into the awareness of that. We, we have resistance to that because, one, it's against these cultural suggestions and it's against our experience. It's against our teachings, our everything, our, our upbringing. It doesn't mean we did not experience love. We did. But it's the understanding of where it comes from. That's what you're moving into. You, you, you start moving into, wow, this doesn't, this can't be given to me by somebody else if I haven't allowed it to be within. Yes. Yeah. And let's flip that around. Some of this is going to feel like harsh awakening reality, but I believe it's true. Can you give love if you are not in the field of love yourself? No, because you will always be seeking a definition of what that is and what it's to look like. And, and, and to go beyond that, you're going to be identifying that often. I, I'm not going to say this is the only way. One way is you're going to be creating an understanding of love based off the needs and desires and expectations of the one you're giving it to. Mm -hmm. And that applies to yourself too. <laughs> and does love, like as you and I understand this frequency, this energy of love, does it have conditions that can be attached to it? <laughs> it it's unconditional, which often can be unfathomable for us as humans, but it is unconditional, unlimited. So we have something we need to parse out here mm -hmm. because I love you, but <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. So what, what I'm asking, I think where the conversation can go next, and this is going to be brilliant, is how do we, how do we understand and feel and tune to the frequency of love and separate out expectations, social contracts, all those things. We've tied up a bunch of stuff into 
what love is. And if we apply this question to self-love, it's like, well, I have a deep, dark, shameful secret. Jared has many. He has a lot of deep, dark, shameful secrets. And they're not really secrets anymore because I don't mind advertising them. But (laughs) there are things about myself that I don't like. That my small self wishes would be different. So I can't love myself because of those things. So, and it's the same thing like in an interpersonal relationship. I love you, but I need you to comply with my expectation because we have a contract. And see, these are, dif- they're, they're, these are different things. And I think that it's worth unpacking that. Yes. The, the way I've been sharing this for several years is, is kind of a, to, to bring it down to, I I don't mean to say down. I mean to say, break it down. I didn't mean to say, bring it down from a higher frequency. That's not what I was referencing. I meant to break it down to, uh, we were talking about, we're, we're talking universal cosmic. So to bring it down to more 3d and some, some terms and some phrases and explanations and however you want to wrap this up that I've been using for a few years is it starts with, you have to know yourself. So if you catch yourself saying, I love you, but the question might be, what is that? But that's a condition within me or an expectation within me that I have adopted as a belief. I have decided to keep thinking that over and over again. Therefore, I've done nothing with it. I have not entertained that the idea that that maybe it's time for that to change or grow or expand. Uh, so my it would start with my invitation being anytime we're going to say, I love you, but I love me. But if you're talking to yourself, I love you, but explore the but, <laughs> explore the yeah. exception or the reason. Because for me, and I and I'll Throughout the conversation, I do want to touch base on these various different steps, if you will. And I don't mean like I'm handing out a formula, but different things I want to address that I know personally in my journey and also witnessing the journeys of of others I've worked with, how powerful it is when we bring these, uh, these experiences into our field. But it does start with knowing yourself. And that is the first step for me to me for self-love is if you truly do not know yourself and you haven't actually invited yourself and given yourself permission to go in and know who that is and look at that. And that's a very broad term because it's going to start out as, okay, I'm going to know and understand my 3D self. I'm going to know and understand my experiences, my upbringing, my conditioning, my programming, all of that. My culture, my environment. I mean, that's very expansive to say, I'm going, to, I'm going to learn to know that about myself, but then I'm going to go deeper within what is my true blueprint? And then beyond that, what is my true essence? What am I? Who am I? And it all comes back to you're not less than in any way, shape, or form, but we have accepted that and accepted that and accepted that. So it's almost like an unwinding, unbinding, unconditioning, deconditioning of all of the all of what we have adopted around 
love. So just to clarify, when you say know thyself, you, you referenced the 3D aspects of self, but there's a layer of that, which is knowing the source of yourself. Yes. Knowing the higher self and cultivating a relationship with that aspect of yourself. In that, with that in mind, is it your loved one's responsibility to fulfill you? Absolutely not. <laughs> Whose responsibility is it? Mine. Ah. Self responsibility. And your higher self, which is tuned in and has access to this infinite force of love that we're referring to. Is there anything that it can't hold about you? Absolutely not. And I also use higher self and, and, and for me, they are at least in the, in the cognitive explanation and language, I am presence and they are separate. The I am presence for me is the most expansive of that, but yet they are all one. They're not separate. So many people know the phrase higher self. And not everybody knows the phrase I am presence, which equates to soul, your essence, you know, the all, the all, the your aspect of source that is you. And to, so back to your question, none of that is lacking or limited or I don't remember exactly how the question was posed. Well, I think what I was getting at is if you... As you come to know the whole of who you are, yes. then you become aware that you, you are the source of love. Your higher <laughs> self is the source of your love. And it, it, is, it becomes the source of your fulfillment. And so when we ground that back into, I love you, but I need you to comply with my expectations and my belief systems and my morals and my structures, you begin to see the fallacy of that. Um, you, you don't need anything from anybody. No. You are resourced by your source. And this is a huge epiphany in relationships because imagine like the release of pressure. We put so much pressure on each other to be compliant and to fulfill our needs and to give us love in the way we expect it to be outpictured. Mm -hmm. But as each individual selfishly gets to know themselves, the whole of who they are, and they start to understand that the source of their being, their higher self, their soul, their I am presence, as they become more intimate with that aspect of who they are, that becomes the source of fulfillment. And all of a sudden, relationships become something totally different. All of a sudden, they become light and fun. It becomes two people sharing a field, supporting one another in their growth and learning having fun, 
not attaching so much meaning and neediness to it. And instead of me prescribing what I need from you, I am allowing you to be realized in my field and supporting you in your realization. And then you can do the same for me. And, and there's no but there. No but. <laughs> and you're doing that for yourself as well. Yeah. It, when you're when you're in a relationship, and let's just say a disagreement, confrontation, dissonance, any of that comes up. It's an invitation. Actually, I want to speak to this just briefly. There there are teachings out there within various communities that they talk about the mirror effect. So when you're seeing something in someone else that you don't like, a lot of the teachings for years has been look within and see what that's really showing you about yourself that you don't like. I only bring that up not to not to teach about it or discuss it or go into great detail because there's a lot of misunderstandings around that that notion because I don't know that it's fully explained. Maybe they don't fully go into that. So I'm careful about using the word mirroring because of that. But I want to, I wanted to bring it up because so many are familiar with that phrase. Okay, the other is mirroring back to me and I'm mirroring back to them and so forth. The so the so the way I'm going to the way I'm going to speak to it and phrase it is if you're going through that experience of confrontation, dissonance, disagreement, any of that, there is an opportunity, there's a few opportunities there. There is an opportunity for me to be in that space of love, to drop into love. If I love myself in the moment and the situation, rather than seeking a defense or an explanation or a demand, if I can drop into myself and love myself, then I'm also going to be able to move into that discernment state. Is this in alignment with me? You know, all of those things that you move through of what should I say? What action should I take? Basically, what action step should I take? And on the so on that note, where I'm going with that is you're also doing that for the other individual. Because once you do it for yourself, it's automatically going to apply to the other individual. So you may start feeling some compassion, some understanding. Oh, okay, I kind of see where this might be coming from. And you can you can then have conversation, you can communicate between the two of you. And that doesn't mean there doesn't need to be separation time for a while because sometimes that's necessary too. But I feel that once you remember there's something here, it goes back to what I was saying, people talk about it, the mirroring effect, which that could be a very long conversation itself, how, how that experience works. But rather than me immediately sabotaging myself and saying, oh, they're reflecting something to me I don't like, I've got to figure out what it is and all of that, which is going to cause us a little more anxiety and a more reactionary experience in that moment. But I also don't want to not look within. So for me, the invitation for self and for others is I receive what what energetic experience just happened. I receive whatever it was you expressed or however you expressed it. Now I'm going to go within and see how does that sit with me? How does that resonate or not resonate? 
Sometimes I often get a, oh, this is something that I would like to look further at when I'm in my own time and space and doing my own work. But in that moment, I can at least recognize there might be something here to look at within self. And that automatically starts bringing in the rippling out of that self-love. You're loving yourself, and then that will start going out to being received as a little more understanding, a little more compassion, opens up more space for communication. Or if that's not what it opens up, it may open, hey, we need some closure for right now, or we need some separation for right now. But either way, you're going to honor yourself through self-love and how that's going to come out is going to be based off of your own experience with self-love and where you are in that, in that moment. It, it's, it, it disarms and diffuses the battle. I've heard the phrase returning non-love with love. Mm. And I want to clarify in my experience, this isn't something, maybe what I'm going to ask for us to do at this point in the conversation is to make a distinction between how love becomes outpictured. Because it's, um, when you are, when you are in tune with the frequency of love or the field of love, it, it's sort of as though it becomes you. You become the receiver mm-hmm. and the transmitter and the giver of this mm-hmm. energy. And so it's not like I'm going to turn on my compassionate self in this moment, or I'm going to practice my empathy. Those are out picturings of being in the frequency of love. If you are in the frequency of love, you are going to return non-love with love. If you are in the frequency of love, you are compassionate. If you are in the frequency of love, you don't have anything to defend or justify. So so that becomes outpictured in a way of being, right? Is, is, it, is it possible to withhold, if you are in the field of love, is there anything, does it discriminate or is it, hmm. is no. it something you withhold here and you give there? Is that truly love? No. no. So let's say, uh, I'm going to actually shift this, if it's okay with you, I want to shift it to like a social or, or uh civilization like a cultural level Mm -hmm. let's say there are particular uh political figures and the things that they are advocating for do not resonate with me do i withhold love from the person I don't think you can do that. And I'm wanting to make this distinction because there's a big, big epiphany that I think we can have on a collective level with regards to the tremendous strength and power of this energy of love 
And the more of us that get this, that have this aha moment where they realize, oh, I think, it, I think this is part of a big collective shift that is available to us right now in the field. It's like in the incubation stage. And the more of us who are receiving it and tuning into it, I mean, we're going to see big change. So you can love the aspect of the creator that is in every human being. You don't have to love their acts. So Terry and I were having so much fun with this conversation that we went for almost two hours. So for your benefit, we have taken the liberty of dividing this episode up into two parts for you so that you can listen episodically if you'd like. So this represents the conclusion of part one, and then we will publish part two, uh, and we're publishing them both together. So if you'd like to continue listening, you can just click on through to the next episode. As always, thank you for being a part of this, and I'll see you on the other side.